Good morning, friends. It's my joy to be able to read the Bible to you today. Not the whole of the Bible, just Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. If you're using the uh, church Bibles, it's on page 883. So that's Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How then is it that each of us hears them in our own native language, Parthians, Medes and Elamites? Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, oh, they've had too much wine. I love that. Some of them think they've had too much wine. <laughs> Sometimes uh, non-Christians think that Christians have had too much wine uh, with some of the things that we believe, some of the things that we teach. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes, he changes lives. And uh, I was listening to a... I was at a conference and uh, a pastor from a Queensland Church, his name was Jason... Uh, told the story of uh, being at church one day and um, at the end of the services they invite people to come forward to give their lives to Christ, to make a commitment to Jesus. So I want to start a relationship with God. And he said, uh, one fellow who came forward at that day, he said he looked a mess. He was dirty, he was smelly, he was shaking. He had at least a drug addiction, he says, amongst other things. And so Jason said that as I prayed for him, I had doubts that God could change him. He just seemed too far from God and I doubted whether we would see him again. Pray for him, okay, and not expecting to see him again. But he said, I pray for this broken man, trusting that God would do something. A few weeks later, in church, the man came up to him. He appeared again. Jason said, I didn't recognize the man. He looked and smelled different. He dressed differently. There was an air of confidence in the man. There was a joy in God in this man. In time, he joined their welcoming team. You know, that smelly, dirty, shaking guy with the drug addiction? Now, changed. Now, welcoming others as they came to church. It says, uh, a few weeks later, I watched this guy walk into church with a gorgeous and stunning blonde woman on his arm with a smile from ear to ear. Now, that's not always what happens when you come to Jesus, by the way. <laughs> Just ease up, everyone. <laughs> but there's a sense in which uh, his life was being changed by Christ and he started to head in a new direction. God had taken a lost, broken man and made him new. God forgave him his sins and placed his empowering and transforming spirit within him. 
But it's when God promised to give us his spirit, uh, he promises to change us. And in the Bible, he, we talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit coming, and we talk about being baptized with the Holy Spirit, which is really uh, when we receive the Spirit for power, for witness, and for life transformation. Now, let me just make it clear. The Bible teaches that you receive the Spirit, or in other words, you are baptized with the Spirit when you believe the gospel, when you're saved. It's one event. You receive the Spirit, and that uses the language you're baptized with the Spirit, one event. I need to acknowledge that Pentecostals, uh, maybe you're from a Pentecostal background, Pentecostal churches teach two different stages. They say you receive the Spirit when you become a Christian, and later, subsequently, you are baptized, this, this new thing that happens to you, and that's when you speak in tongues. And part of uh, Assemblies of God theology, or the Australian Christian Church's theology, is that there is the two stages. One, and then later, and the sign that you have been baptized with the Spirit is that you speak in tongues. Clearly, I don't believe that. <laughs> we don't teach that here. Just so you know some of the differences when people use that language, and they say, have you been baptized with the Spirit? Often they mean you speak in tongues. Have you had that new experience, that extra experience of God? And I think it's a misunderstanding of the Scriptures, which is why I'm an evangelical, not a Pentecostal. Um, but we love them, too. <laughs> we just disagree on how that Spirit works there. Ephesians 1 says, And you also were included in Christ." When you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you're marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Believe, you then in him. Oh, yep, microphone's still working. Uh, in fact, the whole Christian life is life in the Spirit. And no one can have Christ without having the Spirit. Okay? No one can have Christ without having the Spirit. Uh, when I was at high school uh, a few years ago now, uh, I had a mate, um, and we used to uh, talk about Christianity all the time. He showed interest in spiritual things, and I'd invite him to the Christian group, the ISCF group. And uh, I was trying to convince him what it's like. Sometimes you've got to convince people that they're not yet Christians before they learn Christian. Uh, because sometimes people just assume they're Christians because they grew up in a church and so on. And I couldn't get him to see. He lived an ungodly life, <laughs> didn't really believe much, and uh, he disobeyed God in multiple ways that he would tell me about. Uh, then uh, he wanted to be Christian. And uh, I might just check that microphone. Talk to Dave. It keeps going off. It keeps cutting out a little bit. Sorry, Dave. Um, and uh, so what we did our lunchtime groups were in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Now listen to this verse. Have you got it? Are we going to swap over? I'm ready to go. Keep going. Fill with the Holy Spirit and with power. <laughs> Battery power. <laughs> and, so, and the verse was Romans 8, 9. And uh, we were in this group and he said, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... They did not belong to Christ. And this guy looked at me and went, Ange, I'm not a Christian. I said, why not? He said, I don't even know what the Holy Spirit is, so how can I have the Holy Spirit within me? And that opened up a conversation with him. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. Now, Jesus had prepared his disciples for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, for example, he said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate." Advocates, uh, the Bible translations, advocate, counselor, helper, 
comforter, someone who stands, uh, speaks uh, on your behalf before God, uh, and he will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Remember, Jesus was on the earth, he was going back to heaven, so he could not be there in, in a physical way forever, but the Holy Spirit who would dwell in believers would be for, there forever. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you, with us, in us. Really important. And really important when we talk about he, the Holy Spirit, is in us. Keep, my, sometimes people say, oh, they refer him to uh, that, or the Spirit. No, he's a personal being, remember. Jesus goes, he comes to live in you. In Acts chapter 2, it says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command to not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus again prepares them, and he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Happened uh, a special event on the day of Pentecost. What's special about Pentecost? It's called the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament. Um, One of three main festivals of Judaism. The festival would attract large numbers of pilgrims to Jerusalem. This is really important. Crowds are coming into Jerusalem for this festival. It occurs 50 days after Passover. It comes from the Greek word pente, which uh, means five. So it's Pentecost. It's 50, the root word for 50. It's originally celebrated at the conclusion of the barley harvest. The first cuttings of the harvest were kept made into bread and offered at the completion of the harvest. It's part of the festival. By the time of uh, Jesus' time, though, Pentecost came to commemorate the giving of the law of Moses on Mount Sinai, following the Passover when the redemption of the people of Egypt was remembered. So God's going to move, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible reading, at a time when large crowds have gathered into Jerusalem. God is going to make a huge statement He was going to inaugurate the new era of the Spirit. The Old Testament prophets look forward to this day as well. And I'll put my Spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Ezekiel 36, 37. So, and Jeremiah speaks about the same thing. One day, the Holy Spirit will come to live in you. In the Old Testament, if you aren't familiar, God would send his Spirit to kings and prophets at different times to fulfill specific tasks. The Holy Spirit was not just given to every Old Testament saint or Old Testament believer. In the New Testament, this is the new age of the spirits, things would change. Every believer would receive the Holy Spirit. So we could proclaim Christ so that we would be remade into the image of Christ for witness, for transformation. It's the work of the, the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost has been called, rightly so, the first revival using that word to demonstrate an unusual visitation of God where the whole community becomes vividly aware of God's overpowering presence. It doesn't happen every week in church, right? Every so often, God works in revivals around the globe over the centuries in such a way that everyone senses God is in the house. God is doing something. People repent of their sins. People give up. Uh, immoral relationships, people fall on their knees before God, people get converted, and there's just marvelous work of revival. What is happening here in Acts chapter 2, in one sense, is the first revival. There are physical phenomena, 
Deep conviction of sin, verse 37. 3,000 conversions at the end of uh, chapter 2. A widespread sense of awe, verse 43. And the disciples gathered, in a sense, uh, the people watching the disciples because they knew something was happening there. So what does happen? Three strange phenomena, firstly on the day of Pentecost. A visitation of God, and it has wind and fire. We're told uh, the disciples gathered, probably 120 of them, from Acts chapter 1, verse 15. There are 120 disciples waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Suddenly a sound sound like the blowing of violent wind. They're trying to describe what it was like in this gathering. From heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separate and came to rest on each of them. Now, the blowing of a a violent wind uh, represents the coming of God in one sense. You know, the same word for wind is the same word for spirit, pneuma. So in a sense, as God blows in, it's symbolic of the spirit of God coming and bringing power and the presence of God. The tongues of fire, you know, in the book of Exodus, fire was a symbol of the divine presence in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. And God was present in the fire, in in the burning bush, and, and God may be in a similar way trying to say, hey, I'm coming now. I'm in this house. I'm landing on you. Symbolic of the divine presence of God as the Spirit of God comes. It's a visitation from God. But secondly, they speak in other tongues. Well, I've put in your breaks, unlearned languages. Because this is what is happening at this point. So all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We work out what they're saying by the response of the people. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under earth. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Okay. Some modern-day uh, tongue-speaking, and I think it may be the case of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, we'll come to that in a few, few weeks' time, seems to be unintelligible, non-human languages, the spiritual language. What is happening in Acts chapter 2, they are clearly speaking in known human languages. Utterly amazed, they ask, aren't all of those who are speaking Galileans? Now, how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? You know, in a modern day, well, they're speaking Brazilian or, or Portuguese or Spanish or Greek or whatever it happens to be. They're not from that country. They're Australians. How do they know that language? And how is it that we hear them in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, and so on. We hear them declaring the words of God in our own tongues. So they're speaking uh, in a tongue, and the Greek word is glossa, right? Uh, and it can be uh, normally, you know, so we talk about languages. Uh, what's your glossa? What do you speak? What's your language? And but whatever's the case, what you have is probably about 200,000 people in Jerusalem at this time during uh, the day of Pentecost. We have Jews described from 15 different language groups present, at least 15 here. 120 believers are declaring the wonders of God uh, in the tongues of these other language groups. We don't know why they took place, but clearly God is trying to make a point that his message of grace 
and love and greatness. He wants it to be shared with everyone who comes. And they speak in another language. What were they saying in these other languages that they'd never learned? It would be pretty freaky, wouldn't it? You start speaking something. Anyone started speaking a language they've never learned? Anyone started speaking Russian? So I just might like some Russian today, God. How about that? It describes what happens in Acts chapter 2. It doesn't say that it has to be repeated, right? When you're reading your Bibles, some is uh, simply descripting uh, what, what took place, descriptive passage. But for that time, God wanted to get a message out. They were declaring the wonders of God, God's love, God's mercy, God's goodness. And these people are hearing it in their own language. What's the response to these strange events? Well, bewilderment. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Bewildered, amazed, perplexed. It seems incredible. Why? See, the Galileans, by the way, had a reputation of being uncultured. Uh, I read here, it says, they had difficulty pronouncing gutturals, had the habit of swallowing syllables when speaking. So they were looked down upon by the people of Jerusalem as being provincial. They're from out, you know, the country or from that southern part of Sydney or southwest part of Sydney. They don't speak properly like us. And these uneducated provincials are now speaking in other languages. That's miraculous. Some people, though, hearing these noises, these other languages, made fun of them. They've had too much wine. They don't understand what God is doing. What's the implication for us today as we keep note of this? Four implications. Number one, intimacy with God and joy in worship. When we experience the Holy Spirit living in us, he desires us to worship God, to sing to God, to pray to God, to build relationship with God. Part of the, the work of the Spirit of God is to draw us closer to God. And uh, when we sense that God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us, Romans 5 verse 5, our hearts are filled with joy and this joy expresses itself in praise, declaring the wonders of God. The first thing these people did was declare the wonders of God, how good God is. It's lovely to be able to sing about God's uh, uh, goodness earlier, wasn't it? We've sung about how God came to our world in his son, in his death, and now by the Holy Spirit to set us out. John Wesley said, singing is as much a language of holy joy as praying is of holy desire. We call out to God in prayer and we sing to God with holy joy. Paul says in Ephesians 5, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I often say to men who say, you know, men, you know, we don't like singing. You know, it's a, it's a girly thing. It's a woman thing. They're better at that. I know I can't sing a note well at all. But let me say to men, I'm a, I'm a bit of a football fan. And I know that uh, when I watched Manchester United play, and they had a nice win uh, overnight, struggled through with a 1-0 win. But the fans are singing. Most of them are men, singing and chanting to their God, Manu, or whatever it happens to be. It's amazing how men can't sing to Jesus and they don't have the intimacy and relationship, but well, we can sing for our football teams or the, our Sydney Swans or whatever it happens to be. We sing. 
comes from the heart. Arjith Fernando, who's a Sri Lankan leader, writes, We as Christians must constantly seek to recapture what Pentecost signified. Vibrant intimacy with God and joyous worship that ensures from it. Intimacy and worship. You know, Arjith Fernando, a Sri Lankan leader, has seen terrible persecution in his country. I heard him speak a number of years ago. Blood in, in the rivers of Sri Lanka from murder and killing and protests. And yet he can speak of joy in Christ because of God's goodness. Secondly, believers have a new power for ministry, fully and forever equipped. We are empowered to be his witnesses through our personal witness, through Christian Explain courses, through SRE teaching, through hospital chaplaincy, through Robin giving a talk last night at our family's movie night through overseas mission, and we support many workers, through Operation Christmas Child, as the gospel goes out through these boxes. You know, there was a, a young woman who for a, a, a year or so did some uh, university ministry at Macquarie University. And I love how when, and she tells a story of how God opened up opportunities to talk about Jesus, and, um, and she describes it this way. It says she was a month ago, she said, I shared the gospel with a classmate, Kaz was her name, in one of our lecture breaks, because she suddenly asked me, just without ask, her asking her a question, she said, so you're a Christian, right? She said, how do you believe in God and how do you become one? And this girl went, wow, I don't often get asked that question. Fabulous question. And they started to talk about the gospel and um, how God was, what God has done for us, how his death on the cross, his resurrection and so on. And she said, it was like a divinely appointed moment by God. When the Holy Spirit is in you and you're available to be used by God, God gives you these divinely appointed moments. You're in a place with someone, they just need, they will ask you questions. You don't have to Bible bash them, you just love people and be available. And then they talk further and the girl said, I've got exams coming up, but I'd like to know more later. This friend of mine gave her a book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life, she gave her a Bible. They caught up a bit later, she said, I've been reading The Purpose Driven Life and she asked some questions about following Jesus. She said, I'd love to do Christian and explain, can I wait till after exams? This friend of mine said, there I was, a servant of the gospel, and someone came to me. God sent him to me by his spirit to ask questions. Friends, I want you to be ready and available wherever you are for the gospel. In the shopping center, at Kmart, at the football field, at the netball course, at your craft group, at your university, wherever. If you happen to lecture there, I see a lecturer here. Uh, uh, I see the teachers and the schools take the opportunity wherever you are to speak of God's love and mercy. The Holy Spirit is in you. He will empower you for witness. Thirdly, a new unity exists in the Spirit, transcending racial, national, and linguistic barriers. Now, God could have brought his message to the crowd in a universal tongue. If I was designing the plan, I would have had everyone speaking Greek. That was the common language of the day. It would have spread everywhere. But God, I think, was making a point. He proclaims his wonders in a variety of languages because God wants his gospel to go out to every culture, to every nation. He wants a new kind of internationalism. And once we get to the book of Revelation, we see in heaven a great multitude from every tribe, nation, and language. And friends, one of the great joys of serving in this church is we have the nations of the earth here. Hallelujah. We've come from all the nations of the earth here and whatever accent we speak with, whatever country we come from, whatever our social status, whether we have a lot of money or little money, whether we're young or old, we are the people of God, and that's what God is creating. 
And a few years ago, we set up a Mandarin-speaking congregation because some of them didn't have enough English uh, to, to learn from our gatherings. So we started that. Back a number of years, we had one morning service. We grew to two morning services. Then later, then we thought, well, let's, uh, let's get the Mandarin service. And we want to reach as many people as possible with the good news of Jesus Christ for the glory of his name. We are an international church. Love talking to my friends from a Filipino background or Indonesian background or Taiwanese background or Brazilian background. I've got a few of those here. I'm looking around all the cultures or Bangladesh or, you know, or England. Some English people here joined us. Welcome. We'll let you in too. Uh, and some American friends. And uh, yeah, I'm seeing an American over there. And so one of the nice things is no matter where we come from, brothers and sisters, God's people, God's family. But we also need to re- expect rejection and mocking as spirit-filled believers. Some people were amazed and wanted to know more about God. And later, as Peter preached, 3,000 were converted. That's a marvelous work of God. But there are others who mock them and say, oh, you guys are nuts, not interested. Don't believe in God, I'm an atheist. Don't believe in God, I'm an agnostic. I met with a family this week to plan a funeral for us Monday week. A woman who used to come to our church a number of years ago. She's been in an aged care facility with, um, with dementia for maybe five or six years now. And um, meeting with the family said, just be aware that, you know, some of us are interested in God and my brother's a real atheist. I said, don't you worry about that. I'm running the service. <laughs> I mean, it's a Christian service, but tell him about Jesus. I'm really happy to talk to atheists and agnostics and Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims. It doesn't matter what they are. We have good news, happy to share it with whoever will listen. But sometimes persecution is, is really difficult. I, you have a young Muslim woman who came to faith in Christ, and lived about 10 minutes from here. When her brother found out, her, found her Bible hidden in her room, and she confessed to being a Christian, she was beaten by her family. Then escaped and been placed in a halfway house a number of years ago. Now, that's not always the case, but sometimes for some of our brothers and sisters, persecution is real. It is severe, and in many places of the world, persecution is severe. Jesus said, remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. My friend, when sometimes people are critiquing you, I would say enjoy it. Just let it come over. Just love them and see what God will do with that opposition because some of the strongest opponents of the Christian gospel are the ones who are who are still seeking God. They're open to God. Don't let their, their hardness turn you off. Some of the hardest people, like Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, God can touch them. You know, uh, years ago, I was, uh, I'd just come home from soccer training and, uh, in the old days when I could run, and uh, I had a fish stick on the back of my car. And back when I was growing up, that was the symbol that you're a Christian. Anyone like that? Remember those days? Yeah, and... Uh, you had to drive well, though. If you're a bad driver, get that fish off your car. Your car. Don't give Jesus a bad name. Because uh, the fish represented, uh, it's a Greek word, ichthys, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Saviour. And so we would put it up there, and, as, and I would have a fish on my tracksuit and all types of things to see where the conversation would go. But I, I came home after soccer training one day, and my uncle and auntie were at my parents' home. And as I walked in, I'm muddied, I'm tired. I hear you've got a uh, fish sticker on your car. That's an evangelical symbol. Oh, Lord, now, really? <laughs> um, I said, uh, yes, it is. Um, in fact, it's an early Greek Christian symbol. 
before evangelicals existed as evangelicals. It's the early, the early church used to use that symbol, and they would draw the fish, and if someone, well, they'd do half the fish, if someone completed it, they would understand they're fellow Christians. It, it was a sign to identify each other. And uh, in the Greek, it's Jesus Christos Theosotir, means Jesus Christ, Son of God, Saviour. There's the letters inside that. And I, then they asked me more questions, and I was answering the questions. And I, I'm doing this in Greek, right? Now, my Greek was pretty hopeless, and it's even worse now. Uh, but I was answering my auntie. After a while, she went, how do you know all these things? And my older brother said to me at the end of the conversation, like 30, 40 minutes later, he said, where did you learn all that Greek from, bro? And I think it's not, it was not the gift of tongues. I'd already learned some Greek. But it's as if God then brought all the Greek I knew. Because you don't discuss theology in Greek. I can talk about the football and what food you're going to have for dinner and where you're going to the local park or for holidays. But God brought to my remembrance enough Greek to be able to explain the gospel, to answer difficult questions in that encounter. I only share that story to say that God will provide what you need in all circumstances, to bring glory to his name. Finally, speaking in tongues today. In Acts 2, as I said, I think they're all recognizable human languages. In 1 Corinthians 14 and chapter 12, they seem to be supernatural language, seems to be different. Uh, do people speak in tongues today? I'd say yes. Do all Christians speak in tongues? I'd say No. Uh, the gift of tongues, the Bible says, is one gift among many. It's up to the Holy Spirit to distribute the gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, all these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. We'll come back to that in a few years, weeks' time. Not years, a few weeks' time. Uh, yeah, a few years might be better. No, <laughs> a few weeks' time to look at the way in which uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 describes these gifts. Friends, in conclusion, we can now enjoy an intimacy with God by the Holy Spirit. We're now empowered by God for ministry and mission. We're now part of an international community of God's people. We are to expect amazement uh, at and rejection of our message. But trust God and speak out for him when you have an opportunity. Friends, we are going to sing a, a song that was our, our uh, vision launch song beginning of this year. It's a song called, For Your Glory, Let the Church Rise. And it speaks about how God has called us to worship God in song. And let's sing it with, it, uh, with all of our lungs and all of our hearts as we express our faith in God this morning.